0: Good morning, everybody. If you uh, have a Bible with you, or you want to pull one out from the pew, we're going to uh, read two texts this morning, Uh, one from Ecclesiastes that we have been following along in our series. Uh, We are in chapter 5, verse uh, 10. You can find that on page uh, 706 of the Bible that's in the pew rack, or follow along on the screen. The other one, if you'll put your finger right there, will be in Isaiah 55, which is about uh, 80 pages uh, to the right of uh, Ecclesiastes. Uh, It's going to answer the question that Ecclesiastes raises about money. This morning, I want to tell you about a painter named uh, Quentin Massey. Uh, He's a was a fifteenth century painter he 's best known for the painting that will be on the screen i 'm actually going to read as I go so you can flip to the to the slides back there i 'll read as we go back there, but I need the picture of the painting There you go all right um, this is the painting he 's most of uh famous for one of the paintings he's most famous for uh it reflects in it you can see uh the the uh the wife debating he is looking at jewelry and and uh coins and and she is opened a bible i know you can't quite tell from a distance but she's got a bible there and she's making the uh choice you can almost uh, see the temptation Uh, toward the counting of the money uh, versus the Scripture. It's supposed to reflect how easily money can pull our souls away from the worship of God. Being distracted by what we think is more tentilating, more exciting, more beautiful uh, than God. Here we have in this uh, passage... That we are going to read a warning from the preacher, the teacher, the the Colette, the writer of Ecclesiastes in verse 10, he says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth, that is a accumulation of money with his income, this is also vanity. We are never fully satisfied by what we have. That's really what he's getting at in this long uh, passage and text before us is that often money attracts us, the, the, the love that it can give us what we think we long to have. But in reality, it never truly satisfies. There's a, a, a wonderful writer in Baltimore. He's a, he's a rabbi, uh, Harold Cushman, has a, a book uh, on this subject he calls When All You've Ever Wanted Isn't Enough. Do you remember the great conversation that J.D. Rockefeller, that uh, uh, 19th century billionaire, when they asked him, how much money is enough? Do you remember his answer? Just a little bit more. The psychologist Jesse O'Neill has coined a phrase about Americans and their money. He calls it affluenza. Kind of like getting the flu. You and I have an unhealthy relationship with our money. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven and prayer. In fact, at least twice combined, Jesus spoke more about uh, our money than he did about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But if you listen to our conversations and to my preaching, you would think the opposite is true. Someone, if the last time you remember anybody of being confronted about their greed, the last time you were confronted by your greed is never, now you know we've got a problem. It's considered uh, one of the deadly sins. Not the accrual of money, that's not the problem, but seeking satisfaction from it. The only way to curb this reckless uh, desire is to be content with whatever God has provided. In verse 9, he calls our desires for more, our desires to find our satisfaction in the gifts of God, a wandering appetite that is an appetite that is always looking but never finding, a desire that is never met. The Beatles tried to get at that. You remember their song, uh, Money, That's What I Want. They have this line, money don't get everything, it's true. What it don't get, I can't use. Now give me money, that's what I want. We have this new guy who came into the Presbyterian. One of the things that we do is we examine them, kind of what Nathan Boyette is going through in order to be a pastor here. And and his name uh, is Jerry Maguire. And if you've not seen the, the movie, we were all in the back Just laughing and because the questions that came before him were always the same. Show me the money. Living for what money can buy, the writer says, is vanity. It's a mist. It's a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. It's meaningless because it cannot truly give us what we need it to give. And so I only want to make the two points, but obviously I've got subpoints under the two points, so it takes always longer. And the first point is simply money will not satisfy. Let me give you three reasons. The first is money will keep you awake at night. Look at verse 11. i We'll read through 13. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. Get that? The more you have, the more you have to feed. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, he's comparing. Whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his own hurt. A wealth increases... And so do the troubles that come with it. More taxes. Or at least more of the effort to try not to pay more taxes. More to manage and to protect. More what one writer calls the vampires at the door. They've done enough specials on lottery winners to know that as soon as their name comes across the airwaves, immediately the phone calls and the visits start some of them are long-lost cousins you didn't know you had, and some of them are just salespeople who see the potential of selling their products. And you might be thinking out there, "Yes, I know wealth is a burden, but I'd like to carry it for a while." But it's not just that it's a burden that keeps us awake, but it is also true that it won't last. Look at verse 14 through 17. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came. And he shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. This man, he evidently had the ability to accrual his wealth. That is, he, he began to pool his income and his resources until he, he had something, only to lose it in a bad adventure and that could be simply he, he invested it and it failed. It could be that somebody came and stole it from him. But the point is, he had it and it's gone. He has nothing to leave his children and so it creates for him two problems. One, he has lost uh, uh, what he had, but also he has nothing to give. Not only does he have nothing to keep and enjoy, but he has nothing to give away, which is also a source of joy. And and the writer puts it this way, why are you you so upset? You came into the world naked, you're going to leave the world naked, so what did you think? You see, it was the, the Egyptians that thought that you could bury the wealth with the Pharaoh so he could spend it in eternity. And you know what happened as we unearthed these pyramids, these graves? It was all there. Not one dime had been spent. In the end, you can't keep it. But not only does uh, uh, money uh, keep you awake, and not only will money not last, but money cannot satisfy. All the way down in verse 1 of chapter 6 to the end. There is an evil that has been seen under the sun. And it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions and honor. So that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. That's the third time he said that. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that his days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he, for it comes in vanity and goes in darkness and the darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest Rather than he, even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. See, there's a a difference between having money and getting joy and satisfaction from what it can get you. It's a huge difference. The Bible is not anti-wealth. In fact... Some of the richest people in the world are recorded in Scripture. A man named Abraham, Job. These were very wealthy human beings, even in our day. So the Bible is not against wealth. It's, a, it's warning us that if we use wealth to accrue joy, that if we think that having more stuff gives us the satisfaction that we desire. And there's nothing wrong with those desires. Those desires were put in you so that you would desire the one thing that can satisfy. When you desire, there's a reason for the desire. But we have acquisition without satisfaction, don't we? Because satisfaction is sold separately. The satisfaction that we so desperately want in the things of this world don't give us satisfaction because they were never intended to do so. We are to enjoy them, but never were they to be the source of our joy. We are to enjoy the gifts that God gives, but we were never to find our ultimate satisfaction in them. The preacher says it's vanity to even try. It's even, he calls it a grievous e- evil three different times to try to find our satisfaction and joy in the things that God gives rather than in the giver himself. You see, the reason it's called a grievous error is because it's a front to the giver. To love the gift more than the giver is a sin. He calls it a grievous evil. It is, it is like you parents who on Christmas you have, you have labored all night. Maybe you got something from Kia and it doesn't work. Or, or, or maybe you bought the bicycle that has extra parts. It really doesn't. You just can't figure out where they go. But you have laid it all out under the, the, the Christmas tree or, or maybe it's a birthday and, and the one gift they've always wanted, you have finally given them the pony. And when the kid sees it, they love the gift more than the giver. Now you make that a hundred million zillion times to the cosmos God who is the great giver of all gifts. And when we enjoy the gifts more, it is an affront and an insult to the giver. We were made for satisfaction, but as C.S. Lewis says, that if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world truly satisfies, then most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. You and I were made to find satisfaction somewhere else, from someone else, which let me give you these three applications, a better way to live. Enjoy all of God's gifts with gratitude. Our lives are a gift from God. You see that in verse 18 and 19. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment and all the toil with which one toils under the sun. The few days of his life that God has given him for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept His lot and rejoice in His toil. This is the gift of God. Life is brief. And therefore, what time we have is a precious gift. Whether God gives you a short life from our perspective or a long life here on earth, all of it is brief from eternity. And it is to be enjoyed. As the precious gift that it is. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. Uh, one from history. Uh, David Brainerd is often called the father of American missions. You see, when he was young and he had gone uh, to uh, uh, Yale. And, and that's where uh, 90% of the pastors came from at one time. It's kind of hard to believe that today. But at one time, 90% of the American pastors graduated from Yale. And he never got to graduation because a revival came uh, to Princeton, but mainly among the students and not the faculty. And so he wrote about and complained about, why doesn't the faculty have a burning heart for the Lord? And so they threw him out. And without the degree, he had no way to become a pastor, so he became a missionary. To the Indians in the upper, uh, uh, the western part of the United States. When I say the western, we're talking about uh, Massachusetts and New York. He's all of 21, 22 years old. And so for five years, he labors among the Indians. And he, beca- he be- begins to get tuberculosis. In fact, he dies of it at the age of 27. But you and I know about David Brainerd because he kept a diary. And that diary was shared with a man named Jonathan Edwards who published it. And it's still around. You can still get it on the internet today of a man who was dying and giving his life to preach the gospel. All at 27 years old. You can imagine what we were doing at 27. Then uh, Kathy and I had a friend in seminary, Amy and Ed Hartman. Uh, they were just a, a, a year or so ahead of us and, and uh, they had graduated. Amy's dad was our homiletics professor, Dr. Hogan. And uh, beautiful family. They, they, they had two children just like we had two children. And then they had two more right after seminary. But early after seminary, uh, she began to get uh, these uh, terrible headaches. That turned in to be brain cancer. And so she's uh, up in uh, the Delta driving down to Jackson uh, for treatment. Most of us, at least I'm talking about me, would begin to turn inward. Oh, woe is me. How terrible this is for me. Why doesn't someone help me? But not Amy. Amy had no idea how long she had, but she turned the cancer unit at the hospital in Jackson as her place of ministry. She wanted to make sure that everyone who was going under treatment heard the gospel. But she befriended them all first. At the funeral of Amy Hartman up in, uh, in, uh, in the Delta, most of the crowd was not just the church. It were all the patients that she had shared the gospel with, the doctors and the nurses and the people at the hospital. And she died around 30 years old. Life is to be enjoyed for however long God gives it. All gifts are to be enjoyed, including money. We are to celebrate the daily pleasures that God gives us. A week ago, I was gathering with some ministers in Nashville. We do this every year, about 15 of us. And and we usually enjoy spending 72 hours just with ourselves. There's just a real... Joy of being with people that you don't see but a couple of times uh, during the year and we were together and and somebody had organized that we would go over to this guy's house to his man cave uh, to be together. And that this host was going to, because he does this for pastors all the time, he hosts them and I thought, gosh, this is going to be such a damper on our time to go to this guy's house. And not any guy, he's a, He's a personality, he has a big personality and, and he's on the radio and he's on television and, 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 and I just thought he would suck all the oxygen out of the room. His name is Dave Ramsey. He's a kind of financial guru that's on. And so he had us in, but you would not find a better servant. He drew no attention to himself. All he did is play host. It was like he was the server in the room. We got to enjoy richly. I've got these incredible pictures. I can't put them on the web. He has a very interesting room for pastors in his big house. We're not to let these moments slip away in the midst of a busy life. If nobody in the country hears this but us, we are so stinking busy. Our lives are running here to there. Sometimes it's the job, sometimes it's the kids, sometimes it's the church. And yet all these moments that God gives us are slipping away, unenjoyed by us. We are to give thanks to the giver, but we are also to enjoy them. The last application is, well, the second one is that we need to learn contentment. We need to learn contentment. Can you see the limitations of all the gifts? No matter what gift, God gives us all but one we don't have to pursue them so desperately because we can see that they were never meant to satisfy they were never meant to be our ultimate joy we can be less restless and more content because we see that they were never get, meant to give us our desires it is because we can see that we can give we can give uh, generously to others because they're not our ultimate That car that you have in the garage outside and you've parked in two spots because it's brand new. And you don't want somebody to ding it. The best thing somebody can do for you is ding it today. (laughs) You might as well get it over with because it's going to happen. And it might as well be a friend. So let me know. I'll park right next to you. The reason is, is that it was never meant to be your satisfaction. Yes, you enjoy it. It's a gift from God. But if you get so worked up about those things, what do you think the giver is thinking why you do? I gave you those to enjoy and to share, not to hoard and protect. He who has given little but is faithful will be given much. But he who has been given much but is unfaithful, I'll take that away too. Because we were never to find our satisfaction in those things. The last application for a better life is to find satisfaction in Jesus alone. Verse 20, he turns on this phrase, For he will not remember the days of his life. Why? Because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. That's verse 20 of chapter 5. He's got all these illustrations of lack of satisfaction. And then he says, I'm going to occupy your heart's joy. I am. Not me, Bruce. The Lord. Satisfaction cannot be found in almost every gift except one. There is one gift that God gives that truly satisfies our deepest longing." God put the longings there to have a home. You want a home? God wants you to have a home. You want to love and be loved? God wants to love you and for you to love Him. To have a meaningful life? Every generation says, I want to have a meaningful life. That's not new. God wants you to have a meaningful life. But not defined by you or our nation you want to last? God says, in me you will last forever. Nothing here truly satisfies those longings. Only God can. It was into this mess he sent Jesus into this broken world seeking to build homes and and, and find lobs and to have meaningful life. And to last, he sends Jesus here because for, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but what? Have eternal life. In Romans 5.8 he says, but God demonstrated His own love toward us and that while we were what? Still sinners. Christ died for us. To what end? Chapter 8 of Romans, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Now that little passage that's in Isaiah 55. That's the answer to Ecclesiastes 5 and 6. Right at the beginning of chapter 55, this is often about the Messiah And people recognize that. And he says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now, if you think that verse is to the poor, you're right. But it is also to the wealthy. You ever been to a country in which your, your pockets are, are filled with American dollars, but you can't use them? I've been places that I've, I've had hundreds of dollars, but nobody takes them. That's what he's talking about in Isaiah 55. You could be wealthy or poor. It doesn't really matter because your money doesn't buy this stuff. Your money cannot buy the gospel of Jesus Christ but your faith can. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ came here to live the life you should have lived but did not and to die the death that you should have died in your place then that's the currency for salvation. That's the currency of satisfaction. That's the currency of what we long for we get. The last picture is, I don't know if you noticed when the picture was up here, I left it up here for a little while for you to notice, the painting by Macy's, Massey's. And in the painting, you will see it in the bottom of the picture, a mirror. Can you get there? You see it at the bottom, the little mirror? Go to the last slide. There it is. I just made a bigger picture of it. I want you to notice that Massey's, in the window pane, he put a cross as the window pane. It's not like an even, he meant for it to be a cross. And most believe that's a self portrait of Massey's at the bottom, who's trying to reach to the cross. Can you see him reaching over to the cross? Because he's trying to say this in the midst of this struggle we have with our money that what money can buy, it cannot buy this. But if you will reach out for Christ, everyone who reaches out to him will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so here's your your opportunity. If you've been caught up in the American uh, uh, acquisition without satisfaction, or maybe you've been uh, caught up In satisfaction by what you own. Maybe somebody has confronted you about your greed. The answer is here. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Because he'll save you from that too. He died for our greed too. He died from our acquisition without satisfaction that we might find our satisfaction in him alone. Let's pray.